Kiyoru everyone. This is Black Comet Radio, an Age of Sigma podcast from Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's been a while since the last episode, which I apologize for, but hopefully today's guest makes up for it. We're going to be talking to Bo Patterson, a Wellington gamer who's been in the scene for a long time now. He's well known as a painter, but also as a lover of elves of every stripe. And most recently, he was the winner of Pinecon 2019, a 22-person tournament in Upper Hutt. So please wait a moment while I fetch our guest. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I've got with me uh, today's guest, Bo Patterson. Um, Yeah, how are you going, Bo? (laughs) Thank you, yeah. How, How are you? I'm good. No, I'm, I'm very good. How about we just jump straight into it, uh, really? I, I, as I understand it, you've been in wargaming for a, a while now. Uh, how did how did that first get started? What drew you to wargaming? I mean, I've been well, gaming for about 11 years now. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was a teenager, first, I uh, came back from overseas, and a bunch of my friends were really into the Lord of the Rings game. Right. I wasn't right. really into that so much. I my dad did buy me a starter set for fantasy, but I never really got into it. And then mm-hmm. uh at uni, my second year at uni, so two thousand and eight, um mm-hmm. I was just hanging out with a good friend of mine and we both kind of mm-hmm. simultaneously just said, You know what? I'm kinda keen on Warhammer And we yeah. both agreed and then that day we went and looked up what was available tried to pick some armies we were both really fond of uh, lizard men and wood elves and okay. then we decided who was going to play what and the next day we went out and bought some and within a few months we were going to tournaments so you, you would have been there at the end of eighth edition how was that transition into age of sigma for you not not good i'll be honest no? um yeah. i i didn't play age of sigma until the handbook came out i was quite bitter about uh not necessarily with the, the changes to the game but the end times was kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth being a, a lizard men and high elf player um, and then the initial rules came out for age of sigmar and i, I like mm-hmm. a good complicated game so it seemed a little simplistic but right. that's fine but what really mm-hmm. got me was um just they'd completely changed how lizard men specifically worked you know they'd gone from being these sure. tough lizards that are quite good in combat decent armor save mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're cold one nights have a five plus armor save and everything's only got yeah i don't know so there was a big big shock for me yeah 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 transitioning i guess from drunk jungle dwelling monsters to dream lizards from space yeah it was a bit weird did you with that change i guess being put off age of sigma and whammer fantasy no longer being supported did you go off wargaming for the year or so it took for the general's handbook to come out or did you find other ways uh, to get involved i played a bit of 40k um in that time yeah. um but ever since the handbook came out i haven't touched 40k because age of sigmar is just so much more fun um <laughs> okay. i did toy with checking out um ninth age or kings of war but never actually got around to it and i'm kind of glad i didn't mm-hmm. yeah so you said at the beginning that you you like complicated games you the sort of the simplicity of age of sigma wasn't necessarily a draw for you but obviously you love the game now what 
what changed for you? I mean, did you discover that it wasn't actually that simple to begin with, or did you decide that actually simplicity isn't so bad? What, what was what's the draw for Age of Sigmar the game? It's it's not simplistic at all. You've got the core rules, which are easy enough to understand, but because there's so many additional rules outside of those core rules, it's become just mm. as complex, if not more so than fantasy, maybe less nuanced with its movement. Yeah, you don't need a protractor. To yeah, play. but the depth of rules yeah. is pretty substantial. I gave it a go as soon as points came in. I thought, ah, you know, I'll, I'll have a go at this mm. now that there's actually mm. support for a more competitive side to it. And mm. it is definitely not as simplistic as it appears on paper. Yeah. But it was just good fun. Yeah, yeah. I remember when it first came out, because when it did come out, it came out without not only with uh, no points values, no army books, you know, just the initial four pages, but it also came out without scenarios, essentially, without battle plans. And so people were being introduced to this game as a put whatever you want on the table, run them into the board, roll dice at each other, which doesn't give a great first impression uh, or a second or third. And I think coming from a more competitive background when it comes to actually playing the games, it didn't lend itself to that very well. It looked like it was great fun to just put some toys on the table and push them at your friend. But in my mind, immediately went to all of the silly, broken things I could do. That would be just unfair. Okay. Okay. Uh, That leads me on, I guess, to another thing I wanted to talk about, which is where you get your enjoyment uh, from wargaming. Uh, at my first impression of you, or at least my, your reputation, uh, was one, as a fantastic sport uh, and someone people love to play against, but two, your painting skill. Uh, and having seen some of your armies now in the flesh, I don't think we've actually played, um, but having seen them at tournaments, you know, they're at a consistently high standard uh, and you've won you know, several painting awards for them. So what brought you into wargaming was it initially the the game of it and you developed the painting later or was it the other way around or a mixture or neither none of the above i'm i've, I've been a big gamer since the early 90s basically um video games and whatnot right. and i've always loved board games right. and that kind of thing but i've also always had an obsession with art and drawing and I do a lot of freelance design and illustration work on top of Mm -hmm. um, my hobby as well. So I was already into painting and drawing and and art. So kind of every single aspect of the hobby really appealed to me. Mm. So they kind of, it wasn't one than the other. It was just the whole package deal. Yeah. How did you uh, develop as a painter? I mean, did you find that there were lots of um, a sort of cross-application of skills with your own design work? Uh, or was it just practice, um, watching tutorials and talking to people? I'm the worst when it comes to painting. I, yeah. I've, um, I paint very quickly to a high standard, but I don't actually mm-hmm. set aside much time to paint. So I normally... It's like, it'll be two weeks before a tournament, and I'll go, oh, my army's grey. I'd better paint that, and then just smash <laughs> it out, because um, right. I've got so many other things going on as well. Um, yeah. So when it comes to like getting to where I am with, with painting, it's really, it, it is just because I've got that knowledge of color theory, and I know how to hold a paintbrush, and I, I've got a mm. steady hand from drawing for 30 years. That's cool. So you don't have time to look at 
painting tutorials and so on. It's all just sort of what you come up with yourself in those high-pressure situations, I guess. I actually kind of avoid looking at tutorials as much as I can and just trying to figure it out for myself. And um, there'll be one or two things where I'm like, oh, that's an interesting technique. I wonder if there's any particular um, little secret to getting that set thing done. Mm. Um, Like I just recently, the one that I did look up was how to effectively paint kind of rust on a weapon because I didn't want to mess it up because I was painting a whole 20-man unit in a day. Yeah, but otherwise I just try to wing it, basically. And is that the same technique with your gaming? Because you say you're really competitive and you do perform well consistently. Uh, do you play a lot of practice games or is it the same as your painting where you just you just have to perform on the day? I could probably count the number of practice games I've played on a single hand, to be honest. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm, it's another thing that I keep meaning to do more of is to actually play games between tournaments. But I find that I often go to a tournament with a list I've never played before and then just, like I said, wing it. Okay. Do you watch my, like many battle reports to figure out what other armies do? I put battle reports on in the background when I'm doing my design work or painting. I don't focus too hard on them. So. Just to absorb it more by osmosis, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a fair yeah. understanding of what most things do. With well, let's yeah, let's let's keep talking about your competitive play because, as many people will know, I imagine it's exclusively New Zealanders listening to this. We recently had PineCon, uh, which is a one-day uh, event in Pinehaven in Upper Hutt, Wellington, North Island, uh, and it was a one thousand two hundred fifty-point event, uh, which you won. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, on that, a very well-deserved win, and you won uh, best painted army as well. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Going going into that, going into that event, uh, you used a list that was subtly different from previous lists you've run. Could you run us through your list? Um, so, what the thinking was behind it? Yeah. So, what my list is, I've got it right here in front of me. Is so for anyone who's not aware, I am currently playing Ideneth Deepkin um, to further my obsession with elves. Mm-hmm. And so my general is Volturnos, because, of course, why would you take anything but? <laughs> and then I was running a Soul Scryer and a Tidecaster with the Kraken Tooth and Arcane Corrasion. And then I had two units of three Ishlayan Guard, two units of three Morsar Guard, 20-man unit of Eternal Guard as allies. And mm-hmm. I brought yep. a endless spell in the form of Soul Snare Shackles. So the, uh, the little difference that you were alluding to is the uh, eternal guard Mm. so the reason i brought those is because while my eels are damn strong and get the job done it's still an objective-based game and i just feel like you need at least one big block if you can obviously some armies can't like beast claw raiders they don't have many options for that Mm. but because i can ally in wanderers i can get a cheap 140 point unit of 20 eternal guard who can sit in terrain with a three up savory rolling ones and twos so it's just it's it's kind of a, a no-brainer to just have them sit back on an objective and then you can yeah. kind of just abandon them for the rest of the game if you need to. Or I also considered running them in a line in front of my army if I didn't need them for objectives. And I did that a couple of times, and that was so I could have my eels sitting just behind them ready to counter charge for a big turns two and three. Excellent. Yeah, and obviously that list works. Uh, I don't know if it you know, fulfilled your own expectations of it, but I don't see how it 
could have done any better because you took out the event, as we've alluded to. Uh, I don't want to go through all four games uh, that you played. I'm mostly interested in the final game, so the the battle for first place, essentially, where you played Sean Tubman, uh, who's currently the New Zealand master. He won Masters uh, last year, and he's consistently sort of one of the top players at events. Uh, could you run us sort of through that game? Uh, what, If you can remember what he brought, but more importantly, how the game played out and your thinking behind your moves and your strategy. Absolutely. So, yeah, Sean's a tough opponent, a lovely guy, but I've never beaten him until Pinecon. And so he was running his Daughters of Cain. He had Marathi. He had a Hag Queen on foot. He had a 30, um, well, 30 woman unit of Sisters of Slaughter. He had at least another unit of 10 witch elves, possibly two units of 10. I'm not 100% sure. And he had a unit of 10 Doomfire Warlocks. And his whole strategy was mm. to basically transform Marathi turn one, teleport the hag, mm-hmm. switch places with that spell that the Doomfire Warlocks were casting, and then move Marathi in the movement phase and guarantee a turn one charge on whatever she wanted to fight, which is a Great. intimidating prospect Going into that battle, I knew there was a chance I'd fight Marathi at some point over the weekend, although I had not expected to do as well as I did. But I had brought the um, Kraken Tooth artifact to try and get a jump on dangerous characters and hopefully roll a six and mm-hmm. basically take them off the board, and which the... did not happen because, mm-hmm. funnily enough, I get outdropped by every single army. But it was it was nice to have anyway, even though I only used it once. So we played Knife to the Heart, so pretty dangerous scenario to be fighting Marathian. So obviously two objectives, and you just got to get the other persons. We were both playing for the major win. Um, no hanging back, running out the five turns for us. So obviously the first thing I do is put my shipwrecks out before we choose table sides. And as Sean alluded to in his mm-hmm. podcast, the placement of those is, is actually one of the most important decisions you, you make going into a game, I think. And because there's only two objectives, what you can do is obviously you have to keep them six inches away from any objectives. But they have such a massive footprint. Mm -hmm. So you can have them, you sit them six inches away from that objective so you can get Mm -hmm. the six up after the save if if you need it. But more importantly, you can block off almost a foot of the table. So I basically positioned them in the the same kind of way so that I was doing the same effect regardless of what table side went to who, blocking lanes to make it more difficult to get to me, whereas I'm running an army of almost complete flyers, so I can just ignore them. Yeah, so put those down. Um, Sean wins the roll-off, picks the side with the one piece of arcane terrain, and rightfully so, pretty much the only thing that ever changes people's minds yeah. about where they are. Yeah, so he had basically deployed all of his army defensively, around his objective and i did much the same with with mine obviously taking the soul scryer and the morsar guard into the other sea for a, a cheeky backfield charge so he was denying me from getting in behind him and i had basically circled my objective with my defensive eels and i had a nice piece of terrain within range to just sit my eternal guard in and Great. yeah he takes first turn he does his marathi trick marathi comes and mm-hmm. swinging and i had misdeployed Volturnos by half an inch to an inch, so she was able to get Volturnos with her three-inch range melee attacks. Kills Volturnos despite 
me rolling six out of eight six pluses on the uh, ship saves it was oh when we saw those sixes that was a great moment so i lost will turn us on turn one but that's that's okay because in return i was able to do three wounds to marathi because i run Mm. and i still have no idea how to pronounce this but dom hain as my enclave so that means that i re-roll ones if i charge to hit and i re-roll ones to wound if my target is a monster So Marathi's a monster. I'm hitting on threes, wounding on threes, re-rolling ones to wound. She's got a four-up save. It's easy for me to get those three wounds in each turn, so I just have to outlast her. Yeah, at this point, when you'd lost Volturnos, obviously keeping in mind that one of the great benefits of Volturnos is he he can really make your turn three that much more devastating with his command ability. How did you feel the game was going to be going at that point, having lost what might be considered the linchpin of your army i mean i'll be honest when i got the draw and knew i was facing sean i had kind of assumed that i would probably lose that battle anyway okay so losing volturnus wasn't a wasn't a big shock and it wasn't too big a deal because i know that he doesn't have that many um that many units either um Marathi's tied up fighting my eels he has no real saves so it's not. I don't necessarily need all the extra attacks. And when I lost Volturnus, I think, okay. well, I can still at least play for a minor. Um, and I still had my two units of Morsar Guard in the other sea ready to come in and of course and fight stuff. Yeah. So they'll do. They'll do some damage, which is what they did in my turn one because Sean had unluckily failed his the thing that his priest does or priestess. Oh the. The prayer that gives you a five plus to do a mortal wound when you die. Uh, Martyr sacrifice. That's the one. So he had the um, six up Mm -hmm. on a save, bounces a mortal wound, Mm -hmm. and when you Mm -hmm. he was hoping to get the five plus when you die, you take a mortal wound as well. But he failed that one two turns in a row, which was a big deal. So I was able to capitalize on that. Came in from behind, and I think I killed seventeen sisters of slaughter. In that first round, okay. it was either thirteen or seventeen, um, and he, with his six-inch pile, and had managed to get it so that he was just within six inches of his hag queen, so that he wouldn't fail battle shock. And then he kind of oh, yeah. moved everything around a little bit, so they got stuck in there. I didn't really take many wounds in return, and then it just kind of the next turn or two were just a slog to see who would kill who first. He had a lot of stuff on that side of the board still, but okay. he was still playing really defensively trying to mark off my okay. other avenues to getting to his objective. He considered retreating Marathi, but I think he realized that I would just chase her down and hide her on my terms yeah. anyway. Um, so she was taking three wounds mm-hmm. every turn. So going into turn two, she'd taken six wounds, half dead, a lot less scary, but mm-hmm. still able to do damage. Um, obviously my eels are ignoring her rend, but it's still not yeah. too hard to roll a one, two, or a three. So she yeah. did kill another unit of eels, mm-hmm. and then the end of turn two, she was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had the majority of my army left, and then kind of as soon as Marathi was dead, it was I still had three units of eels and a couple of characters to just push right onto his stuff. And because he's got no armor saves, really, I was able to get some charges off and, and do a lot of damage. I think I charged a unit of I charged a unit of witches and the Doomfire warlocks, and I killed. Like three of the warlocks and six of the witches with like a single unit of eels in one combat phase. Right. Um, so 
Yeah. yeah, once because Marathi's about 480 points in a 1250 point tournament. If you can take her out, then the rest of the army's not so bad, especially when he had the bad luck of failing those saves. So when when I didn't take many casualties in, re- in response to counter alpha striking and Marathi was dead turn two, I suddenly realized, shit, I might win this one. <laughs> and Sean kind of realized the same thing, but he still played a damn hard game. And doing everything he could to try and stop me, but he just couldn't get enough damage through. And I was able to wipe everything out by the end and and take the major win. Cool. So it was really a game of sort of a, not a one-two punch, but a battle of alpha strikes. Really, he threw Marathi forward, you threw your offensive eels forward, and yours was just a better push, I guess, uh, combined with his bad luck. Yeah, yeah. I think because yeah. Marathi's then stuck in combat with models that don't really have any trouble damaging her but if my rolls go well then i've got a four up save that is uh, ignores rend and i'm within range of my shipwreck for the possible six up after the save makes it hard to grind through six of those eels so that's 24 wounds right there yeah. whereas you know marathi's already down three going to my mm-hmm. turn one because she nuked Volturnos, which is fair enough that it's the right decision to make, but in response I can just take three wounds off, easy. Did your Eternal Guards do much in this game? Because from both hearing Sean talk about it, now from hearing you talk about it, they don't really factor in or get uh, talked about. Did they just spend the game sitting in terrain? They didn't move once, they just sat there. Um, The main thing with them is is having 20 models sitting within range of my objective. I wasn't going to send them out to fight Marathi because they would have been no help. Mm-hmm. They were mostly there because I was worried he would try and get behind me with his big unit of sisters, but I was able to lock them down. Mm-hmm. And I'll, to be honest, they did, really didn't do anything the whole tournament except stay on an objective, which is what I had them there for. And they did yeah. survive a charge from a bloodthirster, which was very nice. <laughs> nice. Well... Congratulations. I mean, everyone was really happy to actually see you uh, take out a tournament. Yeah, it's my first actual win. Yeah, so that, that was that was fantastic. Going forwards, are you, you going to be sticking with your Deepkin for the foreseeable future? For the next couple of tournaments, definitely. So, I mean, I love my Deepkin. I love all my elf armies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of plan on focusing at least the kind of higher tier tournaments will be will Deepkin based, but then I've got a bunch of fun I'd, um, other lists and armies that I can run, such as um, at CharityCon uh, earlier in the year, I brought Gutbusters. Mm-hmm. And that was, Great. Yeah, and that was just for, for fun. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. at big serious tournaments that I think are going to count towards rankings, I'll probably bring the Deepkin. Okay. So is that <clears throat> sorry, a, a, a dichotomy for you? Do you either take a competitive list or a fun list or do you try to take competitive lists that are still going to be fun and engaging to play for you and your opponent i mean i just need... uh, i'm not turning up yeah that's not a trick question i'm not trying to yeah, corner you into being a bad guy but yeah i mean obviously the playing the deepkin means that i get the turn three always fights first which a lot of people don't find fun to to face um mm. so i yeah get far fewer sports votes than i used to <laughs> Um, for me the list that I take is until recently anyway I wasn't trying to build a super competitive list so my 2000 point lists with the Deepkin last year always involved two Eidolons which is 
840 points for two models that don't get their points back. They just look really cool. They're fun to use. They're not very competitive. Um, They're good force multipliers if you play them right, but I really just like the army because Mm. it's so fast and maneuverable and you can just is versatile and and really fun to play with, possibly not so fun to play against. Which is why I probably reserve it for the more hardcore tournaments. Okay, so you talk about enjoying it being fast and maneuverable, which is probably a trait that you could apply to a lot of elf armies. And this is where my segue comes into talking about how much you enjoy playing uh, with elves or uh, painting elves or just being around elves. Uh, You've alluded to that before uh, in this uh, recording. Is it because you look like an elf or is there something else to do uh, with elves that draw draw you to them? I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. Oh, goodness. No, that was... (laughs) Sorry, my cats. Um, Yeah, yeah, so obviously anyone who who knows me knows that I'm quite tall, very Mm -hmm. slim, and have long hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are in tune with nature. Yes, so very, very Um, elf-like. Now, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I've been described as graceful as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can Um, feel that. Yeah, so I, it's one of those things where I really enjoy elves from that very narcissistic perspective. I kind of of relate to them on that level, certainly. But there's actually a whole bunch of reasons why I love elves. Um, One of which is, uh, so, from a very young age, um, Tolkien was was my right. bedtime story mm-hmm. when I was, you know, four or five. And The Lord of the Rings was one of the first books I ever actually read. And, you know, I absolutely adored Legolas and in The Hobbit. You know, I loved Thranduil and and I love the Silmarillion and all of that stuff. So I'm always right. I've always had a fascination with elves in that regard. Um cool. not with dwarves? Not not so much with with no. dwarves, no. Yeah, I'm 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 really more into the the taller mm-hmm. of the fantasy races. Yeah, um, I don't despise dwarves, but I certainly pretend to. Yeah, well, it's um, off the narrative. Mm. Yeah, and with um with Warhammer elves um, from fantasy, they just had that really cool Atlantean vibe, mm. and I've one of my majors is in classical studies, so I'm quite interested in that sort of thing as well the ancient greek and the mythology and so i like them from that perspective as well i don't know i I also just enjoy that with the elves they're very they're kind of very black and white as well they're like we are the good guys or in the case of the dark elves we're we're super hardcore evil yeah um until they kind of mix and then you get an interesting kind of meeting Mm -hmm. of the two but even though they're very haughty and whatnot they're very idyllic in in their own views no matter how stubborn that might yeah. be i remember reading uh and i believe it was a white dwarf it must have been like a decade ago something which always stuck with me for some reason is they were talking with one of the artists one of the warhammer artists uh about i think it was a high off release and he said one of the art directions that they had whenever they were drawing elves whenever they were sculpting elves is they can never be seen to be smiling or laughing They've always got to be either angry or just stern, like you say, haughty, with the sort of which gives them the sort of alien, sort of arrogant look, which 
And it's interesting that you bring up the sort of the, the binary, I guess, of aesthetics and their morality, I guess, that sort of arrogant style. Do do you think that that reflects you? Do you think you're you're an ar- arrogant elf? I think there's definitely <laughs> a little bit of that going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, my partner described me as being the most lawfully good person. <laughs> <laughs> Just Excellent. to throw in some D and D alignments at you, um, yeah. Well, no, very, I'll take them. Very much so. So obviously, um, you alluded to my um, attunement with nature as well. So mm. um, very staunch veganism, as well as being straight edge and having all kinds of very very strong political opinions as well. So it's yeah, and obviously they are both rooted in real arrogance and come across as incredibly arrogant <laughs> of people. Um, so I think there's definitely a part of that. I can definitely see myself in, in the traditional representation of elves in that regard. And um, uh-huh. with what you're saying about Tolkien's elves as well, it's like, yes, they do enjoy all those things, but they're not going to let you see it. No, no, no. They'll hide deep in the forests, up a tree. Yeah, so they have to present this, yeah. this front. But, yeah. But once you break down those barriers, then you're like, oh, no, you, you are a bit of fun. Yeah. yeah. Gimli and Legolas just... kind of thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. You've, uh, talking about the narrative behind elves, I guess, you're really uh, into the narrative, or at least the presentation in your army list. Anyone who's read one of your army lists will see uh, that the list is not only named, but also every single character is named, every unit giving this idea of this narrative that's built up. Is that something you're sort of into? Do, do, is there a wider story behind your uh, the names you use in lists? Or is it, and I, I don't mean to undermine it because it's cool, um, it's just sort of a s- surface dressing, like a presentation thing. Yeah, it doesn't really go too too deep, to be honest. Um, mm. I've only recently started doing it. So I did it with my, um, I named all the units Mm, uh, for yeah. my deacon last year and I did have a at least some internal story going on inside my head that mm-hmm. I didn't really get to explain it it was it was almost <laughs> around like the realm of shadow and mm-hmm. and then being a reflection of of the Dom Hain because they were in a separate realm and everything because the Age of yeah. Sigmar lends itself to all kinds of fun stories and then I did the same thing for my mm-hmm. gutbusters where I named them all and I had this idea that they were kind of pirates from a some bayou somewhere because there were crocodiles <laughs> everywhere as well. It was it was a fun army to to play around with, and then I just had this idea for uh, PineCon that I'm going to expand upon for the next few, where I was just really keen mm-hmm. on taking an army that was from the realm of death because there were so many stories that have come out from Games Workshop themselves about the Deepkin being revealed to the wider world because they've been hidden for so long. And one of those mm. stories was from the Realm of Death where the Skaven had tunneled in to one of the great seas and drained the sea, mm. <laughs> accidentally revealing the Deepkin to Nagash in the process. And then the right. Skaven all drowned and were killed by um, undead yeah. zombies yeah. from that had been drowned, which is where I got the idea to call my eternal guard the drowned guard. So the whole mm. story behind running 
the Eternal Guard was it made sense to me because they were from the realm of death and there were these skeletons and zombies that were underwater and had yeah. been had drowned and whatnot and they were responsible for killing the Skaven, which I thought was hilarious. Um, yeah. So I kind of just combined those two things and had them be my Eternal Guard allies and they were converted from skeleton warriors so it was thematic and it fit my own story as well as the story that had been established by Games Workshop. And then I decided that because it was from the realm of death, I would name all of my units after yeah. um, either the things in the realm of death. So um, I've got mm-hmm. references to Agmar, which is the um, Deepkin city that was revealed, and references to all of the old elven heroes from the old world Warhammer fantasy. And the list itself is called the twice born because it's the realm of death and anything goes. Um, then I kind of, these are all the elven souls ripped from Slanesh that have been reborn into, into the yeah. realm of death for some reason. And it's just a bit of fun mm-hmm. to, I just really wanted to, to play on that old school fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. And the fact that you, you're intending to do more with that is really exciting. Uh, is that something you're planning for Notorious, or just as yeah, um, you have time? That's the idea for Notorious to, to kind of expand upon that a little bit. Excellent, cool. So, uh, I guess talking about Notorious, do you intend to? Are you in it to win it, or are you, are you just going for the laughs? Yeah, so I feel like I've um, I've obviously put myself forward as as a competitive player, and I do only play in competitive environments. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I do hope to expand upon that a little bit. Yeah. But I never really consider myself to be one of the most competitive players. I never try to take the most optimized lists. I just take one that I think will be fun and will still win me, you know, half the games I play. Yeah, but so I think you don't have I, your eyes on best order. But <laughs> now that I've tasted victory, yeah, um, and just because the the community here in in New Zealand is it's small, but it's it's a strong community people Mm. here play hard Mm, mm, we have mm. a lot of really strong players and we're getting more and more players and some of those guys are running really strong lists and they're learning how to play the Mm. game really well yeah so i suddenly don't feel quite so bad taking (laughs) hard goals especially to a tournament like notorious um exactly yeah so i do plan on playing as hard as i can maybe see if i can't win one of those really cool trophies that big sean's Mm ordered yeah from dark fantastic mills oh i would love to have one of those on the shelf can't wait to see the destruction and death ones painted up oh yeah yeah <laughs> all right cool um yeah i mean that sort of wraps it up uh, for everything that uh, i was interested in talking about it was great to be able to talk to you and sort of talk about your philosophy i guess going going into warhammer uh, and what you talk about it you'll be at notorious are you going to be at nationals coming yes up? i will be excellent cool so anyone who wants to see you and your beautiful army can see you uh, in kapiti in a couple of weeks i guess uh and uh, the cozy club in upper hut at the end of may um but otherwise uh thank you for joining us uh well me there's just just one of them <laughs> um uh yeah well, thank you very much for having me that's all right Welcome back to Black Comet Radio. 
I hope you enjoyed our chat. I know that I had a really good time. And if you want to see more of Bo, feel free to pester him in the Facebook groups, since he doesn't actually have any social media for his wargaming. But maybe one day. On the events calendar at the moment, we have NatCon, or Nationals, over the Easter weekend. Sign-ups for that are probably going to be closing soon, but I'm sure if you pester Nicholas Gibson enough, he'll let you in. That's in Kapiti, over the Easter weekend. After that is the Notorious Grand Tournament, a flagship event. This is being run on May 25 and 26 at the Cosmopolitan Club in Upper Hutt, Wellington. We've got people coming from all over the country, and even some from Australia, so please give it a look if you're interested at all in event-style gaming. You can find more information on Facebook or on the Notorious AOS podcast, found on all good podcasting apps. But otherwise, that wraps it up for this month's episode. I'm really glad you could join me, and I hope that you can join me again later. The musical interludes today have been Opa Loba by Kylo Kaz. And if you want to contact me, you can find me in the NZ AOS Facebook group, as well as the Wellington AOS Facebook group, and on Twitter, at Distracted Satrap. Otherwise, kakidiano, and happy wargaming.